from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we're moving forward as a drinks business during the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Bree Wold, VP of Marketing in Tricaro. Bree, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. So before we, we jump into everything we're going to talk about today, can you tell me a little bit, a bit about yourself and your role at Trincaro? Sure. Um, my role here at Trincaro, I, I oversee what we call the commercial premium portfolio. And, and the easiest way to explain that uh, is these are the mass appeal brands at an affordable price point uh, that exist within the larger Trincaro portfolio. So what would those brands be for people that may, may be unaware? Sure. So the brand most people are familiar with is Sutter Home. Um, that is our largest scale brand here at Trincaro and really where the entire company started. Um, but we've expanded now and there's uh, a whole host of brands that we we include within this portfolio uh, and a lot of brands that have had an opportunity to take on some really interesting innovation projects lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, we have a brand called Free, which is uh, alcohol removed wine or non-alc wine is the uh, easier way to say that. Um, we've also got a brand called Del Mar that I'm, I'm hoping we have a chance to talk about. It's a, our new wine seltzer, uh, a brand called Bandit that has historically been entirely in Tetra Pak packaging. Uh, and then another new introduction called Mind and Body, which is a, a low-alk, locale wine that we're just getting out into market right now. Interesting. So I think we're going to have a very fascinating conversation because I've, I've a, we have a lot of questions for you in the sort of low and no-alk realm. Um, but before, before we do that, I, I, you know, obviously this podcast came into existence, uh, as a supplement to the regular podcast when COVID hit. And one of the things we wanted to, to uncover was how, you know, bars, restaurants and brands were sort of adapting. So I'd love if you could sort of take me through, you know, just briefly sort of what, what's happened to the company as well as your brands since COVID and sort of how, you know, what, where you've had to pivot and what decisions you made because of having to pivot. I realize that some of these, a lot of these brands may not be as focused on, um, on premise, maybe more off premise, but still every brand had to change. Right. So what has the, you know, what are the adaptions, adaptations that you've made since all this has happened? Sure. So, I mean, first I have to say that when all of this happened, of course, the entire company's focus immediately transitioned to safety. And the safety of our employees, of our customers, um, became our number one focus, um, as I'm sure is, is true for all of us in the industry. And, and once we, we felt like we really had a solid hold on, on how to protect our employees and protect our partners, um, the next thing we started thinking about was how do we support our business partners? Because these were unprecedented times and, and people were, were challenged in new ways. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of the way that Trincaro was able to, to think differently and to think differently really quickly. So for example, uh, just in the world of marketing, uh, all of us in the marketing department were challenged to think about how do we connect with the consumer now? You know, things like demos and tastings and events and all of those things where you can make those powerful one-to-one connections, that was gone overnight. Um, And that's that's always been really important in our business. So we transitioned to things like uh, an emphasis in, in online. So it's live tasting events, digital tasting events, uh, an increase in video content that we're pushing out to to our consumers. So that was one move that we had to make really quickly. Um, uh, and then additionally, just corporately, some of the things that we've done from an operational perspective to to react to some of these changes, of course, putting all the safety measures in place uh, came first. 
Um, but then one example that, that I really love is our culinary team. We have incredible culinary staff here at Trincaro based out of our Trincaro Napa Valley property uh, up in St. Helena. And that staff, uh, traditionally, their job is to prepare these incredible culinary experiences for the guests that visit uh, any of our five uh, tasting room properties. But of course, there's no guests, so that, that job had to shift. And so one of the ways that we put those folks to work is preparing meals for local frontline workers. So we've been serving uh, some of these meals to the hospitals, to those staff, so that uh, you know we can really feel like we're taking the resources that we have and, and shifting them to support our community during this unusual time. Yeah, it's it really it is unusual. That is that is one very easy way to say <laughs> what this has been like. So one of the things I'm I'm super curious about, based on all of the brands that you mentioned, is obviously prior to um, COVID nineteen. One of the largest trends driving the industry was, you know, what we like to call the health halo, right? So this move among consumers to low and no alk products. And, you know, a good bit of the ones you mentioned, you know, in our introduction are in that mold, right? Del Mar, the mind and body, free. So I'm really curious, like what would, what caused you to decide that you should move into this area and has COVID at all changed, either reinforced your decision to do this and, and lean in even more heavily, or maybe think twice about it? Yeah. So I'll say, if anything, I think COVID has made this territory even more important than ever before. Consumers are thinking about health and wellness in, in a new way. I think it's become something that is increasingly top of mind for everybody, um, for all the obvious reasons during this pandemic. Um, but for us, even before uh, the COVID pandemic hit, this was one of the lead things that we were thinking about in terms of innovation territory and definitely one of the lead trends uh, for my group specifically. So some of the things that we've been seeing, you know, the the idea of health and wellness and how it influences alcohol beverage is certainly not new. And I love to joke, you know, if you were around in the 80s, you probably did Jane Fonda aerobics videos and right. you drank Diet Coke. Right. Or if you're like me, you went to college in the 90s, you, maybe you did Billy Blank's Tybo kickboxing and you ate Atkins because carbs were now the enemy. Um, and all of those things, you know, had some sort of impact on what people chose to drink in terms of alcohol beverage, um, of course, because it's, you know, something you put in your body. Um, but what we're seeing that's unique or different about this trend in today's landscape is that where it's not just about, you know, getting washboard abs, although that's important, uh, a lot of the trends in health and wellness are inspired by things like yoga and meditation. Um, and that's where this word mindful comes to play. I think there's probably some huge number of people who've downloaded the Calm app and are trying to figure out how to carve out 10 minutes a day for their daily meditation. Totally. <laughs> and uh, I downloaded it. <laughs> yeah, I've got it on my phone. You know, I don't do it as often as I want to, but it's there. I don't ever do it. I, I use the, uh, the, the sleep, the sound machine. That's about it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got the intention, right? Like, yes, exactly. Um, so the way we see that influencing alcohol beverage is it's not just about low calorie or just about low sugar, just about low carb, but all of a sudden this idea of low alcohol is starting to take hold of the idea of what is an entire health and wellness picture. Um, and, you know, I think for those of us in the industry, we've been paying attention to some of these, these trends and people talk about millennial moderation or sober curious and you know, you could take the approach of like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. Young people don't drink. What are we going to do? Or I think the uh, the smarter approach is to say, okay, let's not try to ward off some of these trends, but let's let's be proactive and participate in it. 
my philosophy has always been that as an industry, we are best served by taking an attitude of service to the consumer. So let's understand what the consumer wants, what they need, what fits their lifestyle, and then let's work hard to deliver those products. So that's that's really what inspired a lot of the thinking around brands like Mind and Body, uh, Del Mar and Free is figuring out how we can give the consumer the types of products that they're looking for today and still keep them engaged in the wine category. So so here's what I'm curious about is like, obviously, you know, I, I'm a complete and total believer in the low movement, right? I think it's something that w- it was bound to be coming for across all alcohol products, right? I think even in terms of traditional wine, people are leaning towards wines that are now 12.5% as opposed to 14.5%, right? But I think when you look at like the Nielsen data, brands like White Claw and Truly are still crushing, right? Selling, you know, liters upon liters of liquid. So clearly like the millennial demographic is still drinking a good bit of it. They're just also potentially calorie conscious. So do you think that it's just people looking more for calories, but they're going to continue to consume a a large amount of liquid? Or do you think there's a really growing population that, that would move towards free? Because that's the place where I haven't been completely convinced that it's a huge group. I think it's an important group and we need to serve it. But I don't feel like I've seen the data that's convinced me as much um, that it's a a coming trend as I have the data that shows me that low out for sure is. Yeah, I think there's two different segments that a brand like Free can service. I think there is the non-drinker. Right. So someone who's looking for something that has absolutely no alcohol because I want to be sober and that's my position. Um, or somebody who's just looking to moderate. And maybe, you know, you're saying, look, I just don't want to drink Monday through Thursday to create a little bit more balance in my life. But I like going out with friends. You know, let's imagine a world where we get to go out to happy hour again. Um, You know, I want to have a glass of wine. I enjoy that glass of wine. Um, But I'm just choosing not to drink on a Tuesday. Um, What else can I have? Or, you know, if you are, you know, not drinking, it's, it's dry January, it's sober October, whatever that occasion is where you are a drinker, but you're temporarily not drinking, uh, I think a brand like Free creates a bridge where there's that opportunity to have the experience of a glass of wine, um, but without the alcohol. So I think there are two different segments there of, of people who might be interested in, in that, uh, that kind of product. And, and to your point, there are, there are kind of conflicting data out there. Like, for example, one point we've seen uh, from Mintel, global market research company, is that 21 to 34-year-olds are 40% more likely to reduce alcohol consumption. So that's the kind of statistic that I think gets our industry scared. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side, we see also from Intel um, that 20% of consumers say they've increased alcohol consumption because there's more low-calorie options. So it's like, I want to drink, but I just don't want to have a lot of calories. But if you give me an option, I'm still going to engage in the alcohol beverage category. So it's interesting. I think people are choosing to drink or not to drink or just to drink less, but for very different reasons. Yeah. I, I, and this is why I think this whole area and what you, what you're doing is so fascinating and why it's, it's really interesting to talk to someone like you, um, who's, you know, on the marketing side is because I think none of us really know what's driving this. We know that there's something going on. Um, but then there, there is all these conflicts. And so it's so interesting to think about how you choose then to position the products, right? And so I'm really curious about that in terms of Del Mar, um, because obviously you're a wine-based seltzer. Um, seltzer is exploding, right? We know that. But you're, you're, you're using a different base. Um, I've tried the product. It's delicious. It's funny. My, my wife like pulled it out of the fridge and was like, what is this? This is really good. This, this isn't like the other seltzers we've had. 
So that's a testament, I think, to probably the wine base, making it taste a little bit more natural than others. Uh, but who do you see, like what, what, what went through your minds at Trincara when it came to developing this product? Um, and who did you really see as the target market for this product? Sure. Well, first, thank you. Glad to hear uh, that you guys are enjoying it. And don't let me forget to get some more samples out your way. <laughs> <laughs> Tell a friend. Sure. Um, but I mean, obviously, the, the first thing that, that I have to say drove our interest in this category is the hard seltzer madness, right? Yeah. Like the latest numbers I've seen, I think in retail, hard seltzers are something like $2.7 billion in, in annual value, something like $3.5 billion in all channels. Um, so everybody in the alcohol beverage category is looking at that and saying, how do I get in on the action? And, and we're no different, um, for us, of course, as a winery, it, it felt like an opportunity to create something, uh, new would be to, to have a wine base. And I think, you know, anybody, when you're thinking about innovation, you've got to think about like, what can I give the consumer that they don't already have available to them today? You know, what unmet need is there that, that I can help deliver, um, and so that was kind of the creation for Del Mar. Everybody's, everybody who wants to be in, in FMB or malt-based seltzers, they, they know what options are available to them, and they've probably already picked their favorite. Um, but wine was sort of a new, a new territory. I think we're uh, the second nationally distributed wine-based seltzer uh, in the category. Um, so right there, we think that's a key point of difference. I believe personally that there will be a, a time that the consumer goes, what is hard seltzer anyway? Yeah, we do too. Yeah. So folks in the category, like we get what malt-based means, but I think that's a pretty tiny fraction of people. And I'm sure there's a lot of consumers out there who, who don't care. It tastes good. It has low calories. I'm set. Uh, but for everybody kind of in the middle who goes, what am I drinking? Um, whereas wine, I think is just easier. When we tell people on the packaging, it is wine and sparkling water and natural flavors. That's it. People get it. And I think that gives them a little bit um, more confidence in, in their choice. So I see that as the differentiator primarily for a wine-based seltzer versus a malt-based seltzer. Interesting. So question for you, though. So one of the things that we've we discussed internally um, that I'm, I'd love your opinion on is the thing about, I completely agree with you that I think a lot of consumers are going to start to ask what is in these malt beverage seltzers, right? And I think a lot of them are going to be very turned off when they realize it's sugar and water um, or even potentially other things, right? But the thing that a lot of the benefit that those seltzers has is that they can be sold in a lot of different locations. Can wine-based seltzers be as easily sold? Like I know in New York, like, do you have to be sold in still a wine store? Could I pick you up in my grocery store or bodega here? And how much have you thought about that? And in terms of like, okay, well, is, is what's driving a lot of people is just seltzer consumption is convenience. Sure. And, you know, the laws vary uh, state by state. So while you might be able to pick it up in grocery in California, maybe you couldn't pick it up in grocery in other states. But generally, where you can buy beer, you can buy wine, but maybe you can't buy spirits. So I think right. something like a spirits-based seltzer is going to have more constraints on their distribution options, uh, whereas a wine-based seltzer won't have as many constraints. And the same is true in on-premise. You know, more often, if you have um, you don't have a complete liquor license. Maybe you have a wine and beer license, but not a spirits license. So we could still serve something like a wine-based seltzer in, in those types of accounts. Interesting. And like, I guess maybe in New York, because what, what's the alcohol on the Del Mars? 4%. Right. So then you probably also fall under the, your wine base, but you're under a certain limit that where you could probably be in grocery stores in New York, I would assume. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the limit is in, <laughs> in New York. Bri, I have one other question for you about seltzer that I'm really curious about. Um, and I'm hoping you're able to answer it. So when we've been setting the the market at Vine Pair, we've kind of seen 
seltzer brands taking one of two marketing paths. Uh, either they're they're basically you know positioning themselves as higher end, um, you know, going after like more of a an every person clientele, if you will, right? They're, they're sort of saying like this is for everybody, and you can be this kind of person, or that kind of person, and you can drink our seltzer. Or or you see a lot of brands who are going really what I would call full bro, right? So. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that position that we talk about. That's really like emulating the white claw model, right? Of you know going after a consumer base that is probably younger, a little frattier, if you will. Um, do you see that when you when you look at the seltzer world? Like, is that kind of do those two categories make sense to you? And if so, how are you positioning your your seltzers? Yeah, I, I see the differentiation in in the marketing strategy that you're talking about. And for us, I think wine is inherently carries this premium perception, this premium halo. So by labeling a brand like Del Mar, a wine seltzer, uh, we are implying to the or the consumer that this is a trade-up or a more premium offering uh, within the seltzer space. So yeah, that's that's definitely where we're, we're positioning our products because I think it makes sense for wine to carry that premium halo. Um, we've got another brand too that we're launching a hard seltzer, and that band is, brand is called Bandit Wines. Bandit's really interesting, and we're taking a different angle on that one. This was a brand that was launched by uh, famed winemaking duo Joel Gott and Charles Beeler back in 2003, and their mission at the time was to put the entire portfolio in Tetra Pak. And for those uh, who may not be familiar with Tetra Pak, it's basically like adult juice boxes. You know, you probably see things like juice or uh, soups. Uh, in the grocery store made of that Tetra Pak material. And the vision at the time was creating a brand that was really eco-friendly, making really responsible use of renewable resources. And because it's really lightweight compared to glass, it has a lower carbon footprint. So that was really the uh, the inspiration for the brand. And ha- it had been all in Tetra Pak until like next week when we're about to launch this brand new uh, wine-based hard seltzer in the Bandit brand. Um, so it has this really unique positioning there because it's a brand that's really anchored in being eco-friendly. Um, and then on top of that, we we really put our our money where our mouth is on this brand. We're a member of the 1% for the Planet organization, which means 1% of all sales go back to these eco-minded nonprofit organizations. Um, we put uh, images of the national parks on our packaging. We really want to help the consumer understand that this is what we care about. This is what this brand really lives to support. Uh, and then we make these charity donations to organizations like Protect Our Winters and the National Park Foundation um, to help protect the natural landscapes that our founders are really passionate about. And at, at this brand is really all about encouraging people to get outside and go explore some of these natural places. So that's where we're carving out a unique space on a band like or a brand like Bandit. That's interesting to me because it feels like it's it sort of plays to that second demographic a little bit. And then it's a little bit more of a, I want to say, you know, masculine brand, if you will, or like outdoorsy brand. So people on both sides are outdoorsy, but not as like heavily, we're going to, you know, 100% embrace, you know, frat, frat life basically. Um, so that's cool. I think, I think those two brands seem to complement each other well. Yeah, I agree. They each got their unique space and I think they appeal to unique consumers and, and something really for everybody. I think it's fascinating. I mean, the whole category is fascinating. I think it's really interesting um, in terms of, of what you're doing in the category. Can you tell me a little bit about then what, what mind and body is and where that fits uh, into this this whole health halo, um, you know, wellness world? Yeah. So mind and body is a traditional wine, 750 glass package. Okay. Um, I feel like we all spend a lot of time talking about cans these days. And I know my team spends a lot of time thinking about cans. So it's it's nice to actually be talking about a product in a 750 glass bottle again. 
but it is it is a traditional wine portfolio. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon, a Pinot Grigio, and a Rosé, California appellated. Um, and they are lower calorie, lower alcohol wines. So the three wines are somewhere between eight and a half and nine percent alcohol, and they're 90 calories per serving. We consider a serving a five ounce serving, uh, but very much a traditional wine experience. And, and the wines are delicious. And, and the way we make them a little bit unique um, is a it's a really interesting technical process. So we at Trincare are also the largest supplier of uh, non-alcohol wines or alcohol removed wines in the category. So it's a technology that we've been familiar with for decades. So our winemaking team makes the wine through all the traditional winemaking processes. Then they take about 30% of the wine off. They run it through what's called a spinning cone, which really delicately uh, removes all the uh, alcohol from the wine. And then they blend that essentially de-alcoholized wine back into the traditional wine. So it still very much has the, the experience of a traditional wine, the same flavors, mouthfeel, all those things, um, just a little bit lower in alcohol and calories. Interesting. That's really, really interesting. And was this again, like how, how long has this been in development? Um, you know, what, what caused you to want to create something like this? Gosh, I think we've been working on this brand for a little more than a year now. We just launched uh, last month, actually. Uh, but the, the thing that inspired it was all those same statistics that we've been talking about, about people are drinking less and they're looking for both low alcohol and low calories. The idea of this mindful consumer who is doing yoga in her free time. Maybe she has the Calm app, but she actually uses it. Right. <laughs> Those are the folks that uh, we think will really find uh, mind and body to be the right fit uh, within their lifestyle. Bree, this has been a really, really interesting uh, conversation. I love that, you know, in, in all of this, you're, you're the first person I've gotten to talk to that's sort of really going headfirst into a lot of these really interesting trends that we're seeing. So I really appreciate you letting me pick your brain because it's been fascinating for me to learn. I hope that other that listeners have also um, learned a lot from our conversation. Is there anything else that I didn't ask that you wanted to chat about? Um, no, I mean, hey, I really appreciate your time and the chance to talk about some of our brands and, and what we're doing. Uh, and it was really great to talk with you too. Well, thank you so much. And please stay in touch. I, maybe maybe we, can, we, can, we can reconnect in like six months and you can tell me that Del Mar is crushing it and I can figure out, you know, pick your brain more about what you did and sort of how it, it, it came into the market in, in a really strong way, even post COVID. And uh, we can chat again then. I would love that. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.